Amen. Even in the valley, God is good. You know, we come to the, uh, the passage this morning, and it's interesting because when you think about what happened this weekend, the tragedy in France, and you look at the passage and you go, boy, those don't line up at all, do they? So let me offer this as some encouragement. Because I saw the news, and you can see all the results of that, and people saying the world's falling apart. People are afraid, people are scared. One thing I want to remind you and encourage you with congregation, church, God's in control. God is in control. We just did a series about no escaping God. And we know that for the fact that God knows everything. God is everywhere. He's all powerful. A few weeks ago, we sang a song right here. A mighty fortress is our God. And that song was written by Martin Luther in the 1500s, based off of Psalm 46. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Nations fall. They're in an uproar. God is our fortress. He's our refuge. Martin Luther wrote that. He looked around and thought, man, this nation, this world is falling apart. Psalm 46 spoke to him, gave him encouragement. When David wrote this psalm, he looked around and thought, man, this world's falling apart. It's powerful. So we know for a fact, we know for sure that God is in control. So what? We will not fear. He's our refuge and he is our strength. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for the fact that you speak to us. Father, that you're with us, that you are in control, that we should not fear. We look around the world, Father, and we see, see the chaos that, that ensues, Father, and we think, boy, some of us are fearful, some of us have anxiety, some of us fear. Lord, comfort us during those times. Help us to remember that you are in control. And Father, I pray that you be with those families that have lost loved ones this week. Father, that you bring them closer together, but ultimately closer to you. Father, point them towards you. I I pray for revival. Revival in the country of France. Revival here in our country as well. Father, as we look to you, as we stand firm, stand fast, knowing that you are in control. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you not only sent your son to die for us, but rose three days later so that we can have a relationship with you, Father. So we thank you for that. When we pray, you hear our prayers. Father, I do thank you for this church. That we can come together and sing your praises because of what you've done. Hear your word proclaimed. Father, pray that you do speak to us this morning. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. And that we won't just be hearers of this word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we do uh, for John as we are talking about, uh, we are in our series of Stewardship in gathering is next week. Let me remind you, it's going to be a wonderful celebration here next week, our in gathering service. And uh, we're going to have a
time where we all come together and uh, share our gifts and give back to what God's given to us. So I encourage you to be here for that. Our children's choir is going to be here with us next week as well, singing. They've been working on some songs for the past number of months, and it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. As we are in our series, Better Way Giving, Better Way Giving. And as that scripture is already read for us, I think this morning we're going to learn a lot about how we can be better givers in a better way. You know, some of us give differently, don't we? Some of us are better at giving than others. I know from a fact that uh, when it comes to our, uh, our household, my wife is wonderful at giving. And uh, I do struggle with it sometimes. That's why I'm glad that I've married her. She is a wonderful, wonderful woman. In giving, and she reminded me of the story this week as we were talking about this scripture. I talked about the idea that you know this week we're focusing on giving extravagantly. And she reminded me of the story of uh, when she was in college, and uh, we had just kind of opened up the church here, uh, Wilson Hall, and she came in, and she was a college student. We were working at the youth ministry at the time, and she drove up here from Geneva College, and her her gas tank was almost unempty, and she had. left. She came into the service that Sunday morning, and they were talking about stewardship, about giving. And so she decided to put her last remaining $10 in to the offering. Well, she didn't have enough money to uh, pay for gas to go all the way back to Geneva, so she uh, drove out to her parents' house. Her parents uh, live over in the Gibsonia area, outside of Wexford, and so she thought, I can make it to my parents' house. But I'm not going to worry about it because God is in control. He'll take care of me. They need this money more than I do. He will take care of me. She got home and miraculously enough, her dad gave her a bunch of money. Now you may think that the story is amazing that Deb gave $10. I'm more amazed that her dad gave her money when she got to the house. He's a wonderful man. He was the one man that uh, looked in the camera at our wedding and said, congratulations, Deb. Remember, the door doesn't swing both ways. So, but no, he, it was good. Uh, it was a blessing, a blessing for her. So we were amazed by that. Then what happened is she got money. She had enough gas to come back to youth group that night. And by chance, there was a, a mother of one of our youth group students who gave her even more money. Deb didn't know that she was going to get back. She had, that wasn't her intentions that she put the money in the offering plate. She just knew that God came first and he was going to take care of her. It was extravagant giving. You know, how people view their money really is an effective indicator of our spirituality. That's why I love what Luke 12, 34 says. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, when we talk about stewardship and how we deal with our, our finances, I think a lot of people will come into the church and think that's the only thing the church talks about is money. And having money is a bad thing. Having possessions is a bad thing. And I want to make sure that we deal with that right now and, and tell you that it's not bad. Money is not bad. Having things is not a bad thing. In fact, it's the Lord who is the one that gives us. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So having money, having wealth, is not a bad thing. And the Bible is clear about that. 
The Bible is also clear that loving money and making that your focus in life has some dangers. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, we speak about money here in our series of stewardship through the, the time of November, but understand the Bible speaks volumes about how people spent their money. The good ways and the dangers, the pitfalls that, that came on them. Because of a love of money. We think of Achan's love of money brought disaster on himself and his family. Balaam's love of money caused him to foolishly attempt to curse God and his people. Delilah's love of money led Samson away. If you remember the story of Samson, which led to deaths of thousands of people. Judas's love of money led him to betray Christ. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira through our series in Acts this summer. They lived hypocritically. They lied about it and caused their own death. The love of money leads to all kinds of griefs, it says in 1 Timothy. And it, it, you know, it's, it's obvious when we look at the world around us, too, that money has really caused a lot of family and marriages to fall apart. They focus on money. They focus on obtaining wealth. They put that before their, their family time or their time with God, and it falls apart. I love what we do here at Christ Church. We, we have a wonderful program for folks going to preparing for marriage. It's called Prepare and Rich. Prepare for marriage or enrich your marriage. And one of the key elements of this uh, aspect that we go through as pastors, as we're talking with folks getting married, one of them is money. How you're going to deal with money. We, we talk about that because it has divided marriages. It's divided families. How do we deal with our money? How we budget our money. Where our money goes. Making sure the couples are on the same page. You know, the Bible gives many guidelines of how to utilize your money. It talks about providing needs in the households. It talks about paying debts. It talks about saving for the future even in Proverbs. And it also talks about giving back to God. It's a privilege, church, that we have. But here's the key. Generous giving to God. Results in greater giving from God. It's impossible to outgive God. John Guest talked about this a few weeks ago. It's impossible to outgive God, isn't it? We put Him first in our life. We could never outgive Him. And we see that in this passage here 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter. Eight. It's also in your service sheets. It's already read for us. And it's a powerful reminder of how we are to utilize our money as we look at the church here. What's interesting about this passage, I think, is that you know, Paul is talking about the church in Macedonia. But they're going through everything that we've already just talked about through this series so far. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about a better way of giving. We talked about a motivated giver. So the question is, is... What is their motivation for giving? We see this right there. They are motivated to give because of God's grace. They are motivated to give because of God's grace. Verse 1. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. You have to understand, these Macedonian churches that Paul's referring to refers to three churches. Churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. 
You have to understand that these churches were totally impoverished areas. The poorest of the poor. Desolate areas that these churches were in. They were desolate because of all the wars and plundering that the Romans uh, had in place in, in those areas. And so they were the poorest areas. These Macedonian churches. Poor regions. But their giving was extravagant. That's why it says in verse 2, it says, In the midst of very severe trial, it says. What was their trial? The trial was they didn't have anything. They had very little to give, yet they gave. They didn't allow their circumstances, their situation, to have a negative effect on their giving. Church, my question for us is, is does our situation affect how we give? Or do we give first to God, knowing that He's in control? Many people will say, well, I will give when I have the ability to do so. Well, there's always going to be pressures. There's always going to be things in our life. Do we allow our situation to orchestrate how we give? They were motivated to give because of God's grace. Then two weeks ago, we talked about that there's a better way of giving, a, a, a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. And that's exactly what these churches were as well. They were, they were motivated to give joyfully, weren't they? Motivated to give joyfully. Verse 2, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That God loves a, a cheerful giver. Not a giver who is giving grudgingly or because they have to or out of obligation. We give joyfully because it's a spiritual act of worship. They understood these churches here. Matthew 6 says, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. They understood the joy of giving. And God's going to use these gifts to advance his kingdom. That others will come to know And love the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. That was their joy that they had. So they were motivated to give because of God's grace. They were motivated to give joyfully. And they were motivated to give extravagantly. Extravagantly. So the question is, is how do you give extravagantly? What does that really mean? How do we give extravagantly? Well, first off, extravagant extravagant giving, extravagant giving will exceed what is expected will exceed what is expected. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Verse 4. They urgently pleaded us for the privilege of sharing the service of the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They exceeded their expectations. So Paul's surprised by how much they were able to give because of how little they had. How little they have. Paul was caught off guard. They gave everything they had. They were so poor. Next week we're going to be talking about a very familiar story to many of you. The woman with two coins. If you remember that a woman with two coins put in the two coins. And and Jesus said she gave more than all the rest. Why? Because she gave all that she had. She understood that God was going to take care of her. She wasn't going to worry about the rest. She was going to put it in there. She was going to give it back to God for his kingdom. It showed a radical trust. That's what happened with Deb. She said, listen, I'm going I'm to give back to God because I know he's going to take care of me. 
What's powerful about that woman with the two coins? She gave all that she had, not fractions of what she had, all that she had. Why? Because she recognized that God loves her whole, not in fractions, not part of the time, but wholly. Many of us will come to church on Sundays and give and pray and spend some time with others and then live the way, the rest of the way they want to live throughout the rest of the week. And they'll come in Sunday mornings and we'll, they'll come in again. They'll have time of prayer and confession, time of worship, Bible teaching, and then live the rest of the way they want to live throughout the rest of this week. The fact is, church, is we need to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. It's not just about giving financially, but it's about using our gifts, our talents to serve Him. That's the way we we love Him. So Paul says they gave more than what was expected. Well, what was expected of them? Verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. It was an act of worship. They recognized, listen, everything we are is about God. Everything we do and say, our lives, everything should be about him. That's why Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we understand that giving to God involves a renewal of our mind, doesn't it? We have to have it be renewed in our mind in order to give. We could never give extravagantly if we didn't. Remember the story of Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, climbed the tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was a rich man. He was rich because he was able to kind of wheel and deal and even steal money from other people. He had a, a, a renewal of his mind, a transformed mind. That's why he told Jesus when he, he finally met Jesus, had a renewed mind. He said, Jesus, I'm going to give back four times as much to those I stole from. The law will only require that you give back what you stole from plus 20%. He says, no, I'm going to give four times the amount. Then he goes beyond that. Then he says, I'm going to sell my possessions and give half of it to the poor. Not even to the people I stole from. I'm going to just give it away. Church, if we could have a mindset like that, a renewed mind. We saw this in Acts 2 as well through our study. Acts 2, verse 44, all the believers, they were gathering together and there was a lot of people there and there was a lot of needs. So all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. It's more than expected. You look at Zacchaeus, they think that's more than expected. You look at the Macedonian churches, they had nothing. They gave more than expected. You look at the woman with two coins, more than expected. Look at my wife, when she had nothing to pay for gas, more than expected. That's what extravagant giving is. Question for you is have you ever given more than expected? Giving back to God. You know, it's it's powerful to do that. It takes a lot of faith to do that. That's also a blessing when you receive it as well. I know Deb and I were particularly blessed by this church in, in receiving more than was expected, more than was even thought of. 
We were living in uh, uh, Geneva at the time in college, and uh, our apartment was uh, robbed at the time. And so we really had to uh, move out of uh, Beaver Falls, out of that area, because we just didn't feel safe. So we needed to get out of uh, Geneva. One t- thing's interesting about that is that uh, we were, I was in college at the time, and we were in ministry, and so they came into our house and found pretty much nothing. <laughs> Joke's on you. Uh, <laughs> Come on in. Uh, they, <laughs> we came in. The place was ransacked. They looked for everything. The only thing that we determined that they stole was a curling iron and a hairbrush. So, sure. We picked the wrong house to rob today. So we didn't feel safe. We needed to get out of Geneva. We needed to get out of there. We wanted to move closer to the church. And we knew that we didn't have money for a down payment for an apartment. We needed that. We needed to get a down payment for the uh, apartment. So we came into the church that day after college. I you know, came up here, and Deb was up here too. And someone handed us an envelope. It was in our mailbox, actually. Totally unexpected. We opened it up, and in there was the exact amount for a down payment, or a first month for an apartment, and last month's rent as well. More than expected. The exact amount that we needed. Not only for the first month rent, but for the last one as well. Boy, what a blessing. What a joy. It's really pushed Deb and I to be able to to give back. It's more than expected. That's what extravagant giving is. It's more than expected. Secondly, extravagant giving is not only more than expected, it's more than what's affordable. It's more than what's affordable. Look at verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability, and then Beyond their ability, it says. I don't understand how you could give beyond your ability to give, but they did it. In the midst of severe trial, they had nothing, yet gave. I remember Deb and I had met with a financial advisor years and years ago when we had uh, kids, and they were talking about how much money to save for college, which was uh, fairly impossible at the time, but uh, we had talked about, you know, that we. You know, we talk about all our finances and how much we give back to the uh, church or, or charities or, or whatever. And I remember the financial advisor going, maybe you're giving too much to those. See, the world always tells us when we're giving too much. You can't afford that. You're sacrificing too much in that area. And we have that mindset. We don't want to sacrifice anything. But the Bible repeatedly uses the word sacrifice when it talks about giving. We've got to sacrifice. Why? Because it's an act of faith. It's a step of faith. Knowing that God's in control. He's going to take care of us. It's a sacrifice. Some of you uh, recognize the story of King David. It's not a very well-known story. But King David in 2 Samuel wanted to make an offering to the Lord. And he ran into a, uh, a wealthy landowner named Aranua. 2 Samuel 24. And this, Aranua said, listen, David, I'll give you everything you need for the sacrifice. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the wood. I'll give you the animal. I'll take care of the whole thing. And what David's response was powerful. He says, I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord, my God, which costs me nothing. He recognizes, no, 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 that's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. If it costs me nothing, it's not a sacrifice. If the charities are giving, don't pinch us or hamper us. They're not a sacrifice. It's not extravagant giving. If you 
about a year ago, you know, we have a wonderful uh, program here that, that we are able to give to those in need through our Good Sam Fund. And during our Lenten series, we take collections that go to the Good Sand Fund, and Pastor Barry really administers that, and really goes to those that really are in desperate need. And I remember about a year or so ago, Pastor Barry and I met, and there was a, a woman in our church who was in desperate, desperate need. Had young kids, was going to get kicked out of their house, had no money to pay for food, their bills, or anything. So we determined this is a need. This is what we are talking about when we're talking about giving back and using our possessions for the common good. So I was able to, to go out and meet with her and, and, and give her a, present her a check and say, listen, we're going to take care of some of these bills so you can stay in your house so you can feed your kids. And she was overwhelmed with joy. And I remember her saying to me, boy, Jared, it must feel good to, to, to give away money. And I remember looking at her and saying, it does feel good knowing that you're going to be cared for. But it's not my money. It's not my money. It's not hampering or pinching me at all. It's the church who had given back to you. See, extravagant giving exceeds what is affordable for ourselves. It's not extravagant when we give something that isn't ours to give. It exceeds what is affordable. Finally, extravagant giving will exceed what is needed will exceed what is needed. Philippians 4.18, Paul talks about, I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am ample supplied. And now that I, I receive from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. Talk about how she was given. It's more than he needed. 2 Corinthians 9, he also talks about, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Exceeded what is needed. Sometimes we give to a need. Extravagant giving goes beyond that. The good, good Samaritan story, or we get the good Sam fund. The good Samaritan story, if you remember that story, there was a man who got injured and three people walked by and the Samaritan came by and said, I'm going to take care of this man's need. So he picks him up and takes him to the innkeeper and says, listen, I want you to take care of him. I'll pay for whatever the expenses are. But you see, the, the story goes beyond that. There's another part of that story. The very last statement of that story is extravagant giving by the good Samaritan because he says, I, I not only want you to take care of him, but if there's any other expenses that are incurred, anything above and beyond, I'll come back around and pay for those as well. Give giving him like an open line of credit. He exceeded, it wasn't just what was needed. He went above and beyond. The extravagant giver gives what above is needed. I love what one theologian said. He said, it's not the size of the gift that makes it extravagant. It's the size of the gift relative to the size of the need that makes it extravagant. Church, extravagant giving means that we exceed what's expected, what's affordable, and what's needed. But the only way we can do that is by a renewing of a mind. By having the same mindset that these churches had. That's the key. Verse 3, it says, they did it on their own. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded for us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Oh man, if we could be there. Where they didn't have hardly anything, gave it, gave it all, said, please use this to advance the kingdom. Why? 
because they knew that they were storing up treasures in heaven, that that money was going to be used to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the final verse says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. People always look at that and go, well, was Jesus really rich? Yeah, he owned everything. He was rich spiritually because he, he was supernatural. How did he become poor? He became a man. He became incarnate and took on everything that we deal with. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He was tempted in every way that we were. So he became poor. Then he died on the cross for us as a man, suffered. So that what? We could become rich. Not rich materially, rich spiritually. Through salvation, through the forgiveness of sins, through eternity with him, through joy and peace and eternal life. That's how he was rich, became poor, so that through him we can become rich. And that's what the Macedonian church has recognized. It's about storing up treasures in heaven. Giving extravagantly. That's why First Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. To be a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain the inheritance. Which is imperishable. Undefiled. Will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Oh church if we can have that mindset. Knowing that the things we have here fade away. But knowing that it's more important for those to come to know. The Lord Jesus as their personal Savior to confess their sins and ask Him for forgiveness. Place their hope and trust in Him. If there's anything you get out of this message, that would be my one desire. That you put your faith and trust in Him. Knowing that He became a man and died for you. So that you can have a place with Him in heaven. That's the message. That's the message this morning. It's a better way of giving It's extravagant giving. And I leave you with what C.S. Lewis said. He says, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give to God. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. I thank you for your message. I thank you for the fact that you can teach us through your word of how we are to deal with our finances, Father, as we see it destroyed so many marriages and families and lives around us, Lord. Father, help us to impress upon us, Father, the need to, to give back to you, Father, and recognize that you do come first in our life. So this is a difficult subject to deal with. It makes folks uncomfortable, Lord. Help us to know that you are in control of all things. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you did come and send your son to die for us in our place. I do ask that you be with those in this room who may have never may have never put their faith and hope in you, Father, that they confess things in their hearts. Ask for your forgiveness and put their faith and trust in you, asking you to lead their life. Father, we thank you for that, for saving us. Be with us, Father, as we go about our lives. Help us to have a renewed mind. 
That the monies we give, Father, will be used for your kingdom. And I do ask that at the same time, you use us and all parts of us. Use us as well to further your kingdom through our gifts and talents and abilities that you've given to us. We thank you for today. Be with us in the days ahead. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.